of our Savior, greed has been there, making us wish for just that little bit more that we've been given. If we go back to the passage and we assume that the brother was simply trying to get what was rightfully his, we've got to ask ourselves, is this greed? Is this covetous? Is there ever a time when having something, when having money, when having possessions is not greed? Well, Paul would argue that, yes, there is, in fact, a time when you're allowed to have possessions, you're allowed to have money. In his first letter, Paul writes to Timothy, he claims, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul is asserting that it's not wrong to receive what you've earned. If we apply this to the scripture, the man who owns the land, and he's simply fighting for it back, and he's trying to retain what was rightfully his. When we live in a world where Christians are attacked and called out for anything that we do that might appear to go to the scripture, it's not uncommon for non-Christians in an attempt to mock our beliefs to ask us why we haven't given all the money we own to the poor and why we still try to keep our jobs. This isn't what greed is. As Paul said, even the ox may eat of the grain as it works, and so too can Christians earn a living while serving the Lord. Greed is known by many different names, and it can disguise itself. Desire, even dissatisfaction. So greed can be difficult to see. But are there forms of greed that are okay? Is it okay to be dissatisfied with what we have? Jesus answers this question for us in Matthew chapter 20, with the parable of the workers in the vineyard. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. At about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing still in the marketplace doing nothing. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. At about five in the afternoon, he went out again and found still others hanging around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius each. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. In this parable, the owner is chastising the workers for not trying to take, not for trying to take more than was given to them, but for being dissatisfied with what they currently have. Greed doesn't always look like greed, but it's always there. Whenever we desire to have more than was given to us, or we're dissatisfied with what we currently have, that is being greedy. In fact, greed can even disguise itself as holiness. There are many, many people in the world who follow something called prosperity gospel teaching. And this is the belief that God is there to give us wealth and health and happiness and that God, is, God wants us to have the greatest life we can possibly have on earth. These people often quote Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where it says, 
I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper and not to fail you. And they take this to mean that God wants us to have the greatest life that we can possibly have. God wants us to have money. God wants us to have power. And God wants us to have wealth. And they disguise their greed as a form of holiness and following scripture. If we look to the apostles who followed Jesus as closely as most people now would, and they, followed, they were with Christ, and they lived with Christ, and they walked with Christ, and they talked with Christ, they followed Jesus. But they didn't receive wealth. They didn't receive power. They didn't receive money. Instead, they were crucified. They were killed. They were tortured. Wealth can seem like a good idea. Wealth can seem like it's, like it's the perfect thing to have. It can even seem like God wants us to have wealth. But God wants us to follow his will. And his will isn't always to be wealthy. Covetousness or greed is a grave sin. It is, in a very real sense, the root of many sins. The desire for more often leads to doing anything necessary to get more. Things like lying, stealing, even murder. And there's a reason why Jesus spoke more about greed than anything else in the Bible. Because greed takes us away from God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes that covetousness is a form of idolatry, for intensity of desire and worship are closely related. Greed takes us from worshipping God to worshipping the things that we want. By putting the things that we can see and touch as our God, many people think that we'll be happier because we know that it's there, because it's able to be empirically seen and touched. Now, this might seem like a nice idea at the time, but the thing is, while it can be seen, it's not there to stay. In Christ, we're sure of our salvation, and we know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. While some people may think it's better to put your faith in materialistic things, one day they'll turn to dust and be no more. As Thomas Aquinas said, greed is condemning things eternal for the sake of temporal things. This message that Jesus gives us is a very personal message. In fact, all of Jesus' messages are very personal. It's always to the listener and not to the other people in the story. Jesus never says, others must do something for us. We must do something for others. Two sides of the same story appear to Jesus in this passage. One from the brother who missed out and one from the brother who received. Jesus' answer was always to the person who comes to him. It's almost as if he says, forget about what I'm asking of others. I'm asking of you to focus on me. It seems to be a natural response sometimes when we hear a call for improvement, that that improvement is expected of others. The man who wanted the inheritance must have heard that Jesus was all about justice and equality and helping the poor. And his first thought was, my brother needs to hear this. Are we doing this with any part of our lives? Perhaps, perhaps it's not a call for us to consider ourselves. Is there a message that we wish that our brother would heed, or our sister, or our friend? Perhaps we wish that they would just hear God saying, care more about, care more about me. But then maybe Jesus is saying to us, care more about others. Perhaps, perhaps we wish that people would give us more attention, what Jesus would say to us, give more attention to others. Perhaps we wish that we would get, people would get more involved in our lives, what Jesus would say to us, get more involved in the lives of others. 
In the famous series, by, famous series, The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, Aslan, who is well known as being an allegory for Christ, will often say to people, no one has told any story but their own. It doesn't matter what happens to others, we must obey the scripture ourselves. It's often in life that we'll look to our neighbours and think that they must change before we can change. That's their story, and it shouldn't affect us. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. At first glance, this passage is all about greed and helping other people not to be greedy towards us. But the true message is that God is calling us to act personally, telling us to put aside our expectations of how others should act to us, and instead ourselves be less greedy. This is consistent with Jesus' servant leadership approach. We need to be the light of the world. We need to stop being greedy. We need to show the way, rather than being out forcing others to be less greedy and forcing the way on others. Thank you. Hello. Um, so I haven't actually been up here before at this service as doing something. So for people who don't know me, I'm Cassandra. Um, I'm a girl's brigade, as you can tell by the uniform. It's not like boys' brigade. See? Girls' brigade. And um, as it is a brigade service, sorry, 10.30, if there's a lot of strange people. We don't know you too, so it's okay. Um, so yeah, where um, there's... Um, as you've just seen, some of the brigades are actually doing some of the sermons for today. So I'm here just to give just a rundown of the parable and make a couple of points. So in this parable, there was a really rich man who was blessed with a very good harvest. And that harvest produced a really good crop. And it was such a good harvest that he had no room to store it all in. Um, and here lies the rich man's problem. What was he going to do with all of that stuff he had? So he was thinking and thinking and thinking, just doing a lot of thinking in general. And he was probably doing calculations on like his barns and crops. And I wasn't very good at maths at school, so I really don't know. And there's a lot of other things that he probably did. And then a light bulb moment happened. So light bulb moment. Um, he was going to tear down all his old barns and he was going to build some new ones so he could store it all in and then probably big enough so he could put more stuff into it. Yes, he's going to build them bigger and better than ever before and it's all going to work out. So once he finished building the barns and he stored all his crops in there, he's probably standing there admiring his work going, this is pretty good. This is good. I'm happy with this. So as he said, you have plenty of good things laid up in here for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So the rich man gave himself an early retirement and kept everything for himself. That night God said to him, you fool, this very night you shall die. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Well, the answer is nobody because... Job 1.21 says that God gives us things and God can take things just as easily away. So what was the rich man's mistake? If we take it from the world's understanding, the man was a success. Um, he wasn't dishonest or corrupt. He worked really hard. Um, he poured money back into business. He 
had done well, financially secure, so he could enjoy a good life. So technically, with inverted commas, he made no mistake. And, but, well, we all have um, a way to invest our lives. We do it for God's glory or our own glory. And life, as Ryan said, is not all about possessions, materialistic items, greed, and so on and so forth. Now, just for the little people who don't know what materialism is, and probably going, she's using big words, that's scary. Uh, materialism only wants toys, money, other things, with a little interest in what God wants for us whatsoever. So it's like, you know, you have all your toys, you're playing with them over here, and then someone comes up, goes, can I play? And you're like, no, go away. And they, go, they walk off all upset and you're still happy playing around over here. So that's materialism. Or if God told you to give something up and you're like, no, I don't want to do that, that's also materialism. You're wanting all the stuff for yourself without giving any consent to what God or little interest into what God wants for you. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say wealth is a bad thing because if it was, no one would be wealthy. We wouldn't have, like wealthy millionaires running like massive businesses or have a whole series dedicated to a TV show with like five entrepreneurs investing in like the next big thing, just earning millions of dollars over movies that we all love to watch. He doesn't see it as a bad thing, right? But it's what you do with it, with your wealth, which makes it wrong. So God's understanding of wealth is we need to invest our lives in Jesus, 100%, all of it. We spend it on his kingdom, lay up treasures in heaven, and be ready to, be sh to share and be generous. As Psalm 62 verse 10 says, Though your riches increase, do not set your hearts upon them. So when we honor God with what he gives us, he will continue to bless us with more. So we'll continue to honor him, and then he'll bless us more. So it's this whole circle of, us honoring him, and then he's blessing us. Us honoring him, he's blessing us. Us honoring him, he's blessing us. It's a massive circle that just kind of keeps going. So back to my original question, what was the man's mistake? Well, for starters, as you heard, he didn't even consult or even think about God about his next move or his decision in what he wanted to do because he had a lot of crop and not enough barn. Well, he could have filled the barn up and gave the other crops to do something else. But no, he teared it down and built new ones and put it all in there and gave himself an early retirement. Um, yeah, he's only thinking about what he could get out of it. So as he said, a really cool early retirement, which would be cool, but oh well. And, um, and, but finally, he lost it all because he died that night because, well, he was still accountable to God. And just like us today, we too will be accountable for our actions and our decisions. So we've taken a look at the parable, and we've taken a look at the rich man's mistake. Now let's take a look at what God re how God reacted. Now in verse 20, God said, You fool, this very night you shall die. So in the Bible, it's many places, I can't name too many of them, but God says people are fools. Now not everyone's a fool. I'm not, I'm not saying that... All you guys are fools. You're not. All right? You're not. Only some people are. Now, yes. So thinking, what is a fool? By the online dictionary on Google, a fool is a person who acts unwisely or imper 
Dempstery. I should have really learned how to learn that word. But anyway, and for the little, little young kids who don't, who's also going, she's saying big words again. It's basically a silly person, somebody who just doesn't think before they do. So who's seen Mythbusters? Who's heard of Mythbusters? Who knows what I'm talking about? Yay, some of you. Good. So there's this, there's this episode on Mythbusters where um, Tori had the brilliant idea of deciding to jump a wagon with his bicycle. Yeah, and there's a couple of you guys know what I'm talking about. He tried to jump it and Scotty and Carrie were kind of talking amongst themselves and Scotty goes, you smell that? And Carrie goes, smell what? And Scotty goes, bad things. So they let so they basically go, well, let's, let's let Tori do it because they're good friends and they let their friends jump bicycles with wagons with bicycles, apparently. And Scotty says, just before he does it, you wonder why he's getting hurt all the time because he's a class one disaster area and he senses like injury in his future. Anyway, so he's riding along and he stacks it, completely stacks it. He face plants it on the ground and everyone's laughing at him. We see it in slow motion. Like he's riding along and he hits the wagon with the front of his tire and he goes, oh, and he like lands on the ground. He's like, I'm okay, guys. Okay, well, good. And everyone's laughing at him. Everyone makes sure he's okay. See it in slow motion. And the narrator goes, now kids, don't try this at home. Now I'm serious, don't try this at home. If parents, if your kids end up doing it, it is not my fault. I told them twice, whole room of witnesses, don't do it at home. So yeah, so yeah, Tori acts like a fool on Mythbusters all the time. And if you want to see more of Tori being an absolute fool, go on channel 73 or 7 mate at 6.30. If you're not watching the project, watch Mythbusters because it is a funny TV show. So now we know what an earthly fool looks like, Tori Belechi. Now we'll take it into how God sees fools. So um, God sees fools who are people who ignore him, do not believe in him, forget that one day they will appear in front of him about for their actions and decisions, and finally think that they'll live forever. Now, the Australian life expectancy for 2015 is about 82 years. Now, some people blitz that. That's cool. But some of us, particularly the really young ones, are thinking, 82 years? Really? I'm five. Like, come on. Really? That's like forever. Well, yeah, that's going to feel like that for a long time, but there's a certain point where it doesn't feel that far. And before I dig myself into a hole, I'm going to say this. Life is always passing and it is always moving and it will, it will, it just keeps going. Like the time now when we first started was 10, now it's 11.39. Yes, it's 11.39. So time is always moving. It doesn't stop until once our time is up, it ends with a big full stop, like at the end of sentences. And when that day comes, we will go and we'll be in heaven and God will be there and we'll be standing before him. Oops. And will he say, you fool or well done, you faithful servant? Thank you. Um. Sorry. Liam began by reminding us about a lawyer who came to Jesus and asked, what's the most important 
um, command in all of the Bible, and Jesus' response was, the most important command is to love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And then Jesus says, and the second one is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. So Jesus summarises the teaching of scripture by simply saying, it's God's will and intention for us to be people who love him, love God, and who love other people, who care for other people. Now the man in the parable that we've heard about this morning, that these guys have been alluding to and teaching us about, was somebody as Cassandra said, whom God evaluates his life by calling him a fool. And he was a fool, as Ryan said to us, he discounts God, he doesn't include God in all of his calculations. But he's also a fool because he doesn't care about other people, he keeps it all for himself. So the question becomes, what would God say about us? Are we being foolish? And if you think about it, what if he changed one of those parameters. What if he had considered God in his deliberations but didn't consider other people? Well, the verdict would still stand. Fool. What if he went the other way? What if he considered other people, was very generous in how he helped people, he was quite um, caring and giving away lots of money to the poor and to the needy and whatever, but had no time for God? Well, the title stands. Fool. Uh, the Bible teaches us there's to be a balance. We are to consider God and to love him and to prioritise with him in our life as well as to care for other people. Now that, of course, I think as they emphasised in a balanced way to us this morning, it also means that we're not just to give all of our money to God's cause and kingdom and away to all of the people and leave nothing for ourselves. No, there's a balance. And we, through our life and our life choices, are to find that balance but we're to find the balance with God, with others, and with ourselves. Let me finish by reading you this verse from 1 Timothy 6. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Command those who are rich in the things of this life. Rich in the things of this life. We have a lot. Command them not to place their hope in such things that are very uncertain, but to place their trust, their hope in God, who generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. That's the middle one. Stuff for God, stuff for others, and for ourselves, given to us for our enjoyment, but not only. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, ready to share with others. If we do this, then they will store up for themselves a treasure which will be a solid foundation for the future. And then they will be able to win life, living a life which is true life. God's will and intention for us is to be a people who live, who live in balance, who live considering him with him as Lord of our life and we love with everything, considering other people and caring for them and giving to them, but also enjoying and thanking God for all of the things that he gives to us, that he entrusts to us. What would God's evaluation be of your life? The man in the story, fool. What will God say to you and of you? Would you pray with me? We're going to pray and then we'll sing our final song. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the work of brigades, boys' brigade, girls' brigade. We want to thank you for those who have taught your word to us this morning. We ask, Lord, that you might help us to consider and to continue to consider the words and the truths that they have reminded us of. 
Most of all, Father, we want to thank you for your generous gift in giving us your son. But also thank you for the things that you provide for us, for our enjoyment, but also for us to be responsible with, to love you, but also to care for and to love others. Lord, guide us. Direct us in our lives that we might have a balanced life and that we might be able to make choices that enable us to live life and live life to the full. This is your intention, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And I'll ask you to remain standing. We're going to sing our final song, and then we'll conclude our parade service.
Heavenly Father, as we come to the end of our service and go to whether it's fellowship time or home to our for lunch, whatever we're doing for the rest of this day, we ask that you might go before us uh, with a sense of your presence, with the grace of the Lord Jesus, with your love in our hearts and with the sense of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us, Lord, each one. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing. Hello, Bob.